Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to study the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've said much in this series of programs about the coming Kingdom of God. Jesus will indeed return one of these days to establish the Davidic throne in Jerusalem and to set up His Kingdom in this world, a new world indeed, a world renewed and purified by the presence of the Messiah Himself. The Messiah, of course, in Scripture, the Son of God, is the divine agent representing the one God of Israel. He's the Son of God, the Messiah. On that rock foundation the church was founded, you remember in Matthew 16, verse 16, and the verses following, Jesus said to Peter, Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Well, Various people have various ideas about who you are. But Jesus pressed the question, Who do you, Peter, say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded with joy and gladness at that answer given by Peter. Blessed are you, Peter, he said. Flesh and blood did not reveal that great secret to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The fact and belief of Jesus as the Messiah is the great foundation building block on which the church is to be founded. And so it's the story of Messiah and his kingdom which occupies the pages of the New Testament and indeed is really the story of the entire Bible. God is working out a restoration program from the very beginning. The government of God, the kingdom of God, which was placed in the hands of Adam as a divine representative, as God's vice-regent, that program was tragically disrupted when the devil began telling lies. And with his clever, twisted version of Scripture, his distorted version of the Bible, he managed to lure Eve into fatal disobedience. From that time on, God has been working out a restoration program. But we, as free moral agents, are entitled to choice. Either we subscribe to the lies of the devil, the cunning lies of the devil, which often appear to be true, or we pledge ourselves to a study of the Scripture, the words and teachings of Jesus, and of course in the Old Testament of the God of Israel, we apply ourselves to a study of that word in order to dispel the lies, in order to discern between truth and lie. To that exercise we are pledged as Christians and to that exercise we are dedicated in this series of programs on the kingdom of God. And so we suggest that the kingdom of God is the overarching as well as the underlying theme of the whole of Scripture. God is involved in a restoration program, and he wants you to be involved also. Jesus, through the gospel about the kingdom, invites you to kingship, not to a place beyond the skies, a realm beyond the skies as a disembodied soul, which is a very nebulous idea, by the way, and difficult to get hold of, not to that kind of objective, but Jesus offers you rather a place in his kingdom, an office as a king in his coming kingdom. Christianity, in fact, in the New Testament, is a training program for kings in preparation. Now, that period of preparation leading up to the coming kingdom is one of trial and tribulation, often of persecution even. 
The Christian life is a life of pressure and difficulty. Jesus did not have it easy, you remember. He was in constant opposition with the religious establishment of his day, and so angry did they become with his challenge to their tradition that they actually persecuted him and crucified him. The apostles, you remember, suffered a similar fate. The story, at least, is that Peter was crucified upside down, and Paul, we know, died at the hands of the Roman emperor Nero. And so, you see, New Testament Christianity is a struggle against establishment, against tradition. Often people do not study the Bible. They may read verses here and there, but they don't analyze it and study it from cover to cover. They don't dig deep into it in order to find truth. And yet it would appear from Paul's remarks in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 onwards, that the love of the truth is an essential for successful Christianity. In that passage in Second Thessalonians 2, verses 10 onwards, Paul said, Because people do not love the truth, they are perishing. It's essential, Paul said in that passage, to embrace the truth, to have a passion for truth in order to be saved. It's because people do not have that passion for truth, but take on board carelessly, without proper investigation, whatever idea they seem to be surrounded by. It's because they don't love the truth, they don't study the truth, that they're on the way to rack and ruin. You'll find that vital teaching in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 10 and onwards. And so it would appear from the Bible that the love of truth, the passion for truth, the desire to search for truth is an essential ingredient in the Christian life. From the very start, Jesus spoke words of truth. The words that I speak to you, said Jesus in John 6, 63, are spirit and are life. In other words, his teachings carry spirit. They're energized by spirit. They provide the germ of immortality, the seed of immortality implanted in our hearts now, and they will lead eventually to the full flowering of immortality, which is to be gained in the future resurrection when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom on the earth. And so the teachings of Jesus are the most precious teachings ever uttered by any man at any time in history. They are the guidelines for immortality. They are the sacred secrets which we must embrace now in order to find our way along the path of life which leads to immortality in the coming kingdom. That's why we're stressing then Jesus' main teaching, the umbrella term under which all his teaching is gathered, that's to say the gospel about the kingdom of God. The gospel of the kingdom of God is a public announcement. Jesus puts us on the alert, so to speak, and commands us to repent, to turn around, to reorientate our lives in view of the great coming fact of the future, the arrival in power and glory of the Messiah to establish his kingdom. Each of us is going to face that kingdom one of these days, either by surviving until that time arrives, or by dying and facing Jesus in the judgment. And so we'd better be prepared. It only makes sense that we would want to be in the know, so to speak, knowledgeable about God's plan and purpose and what he requires of us. And what he requires of us is not burdensome. Come unto me, Jesus said, and cast your burdens upon me. My burden is light. Learn from me, he said in Matthew 11, and I will give you rest. But notice that phrase, learn from me. He didn't just say, believe that I died for your sins and rose from the dead. Learn my teachings. 
Learn my words. The words that I speak to you are spirit and are life. John 6, verse 63. You know, that interesting statement is paralleled many times in the Bible. In 2 Samuel 23, in verse 2 of that 23rd chapter of 2 Samuel, you'll find there in David's famous last words, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me. His word was in my mouth. And do you hear there the energy of the words that proceeded from the mouth of David? He was conscious of that driving force in his life. The words that he spoke were driven, were energized by the very Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God in the Bible is the creative energy of God, God's tool for the creation of new Christian character, which will lead to kingship in the coming kingdom of God. Fear not, little flock, Jesus addressed his disciples. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure one day to give you the kingdom, to give you kingship, and to appoint you as kings and priests in the coming kingdom of God on the earth. You'll read that in Revelation 5, verse 10, where the heavenly court there bursts forth in an ecstasy of praise and glorifies God for the magnitude of his marvelous plan. God has gathered through Jesus, that text says, the Lamb who has opened the seals of the book there has gathered folk from all the nations, from every nation under heaven, and made them into a group of kings and priests. And their destiny, Revelation 5 verse 10 says, is that they're going to rule as kings upon this earth. They're going to rule the world. That's the purpose of preparing now for the kingdom of God to be established when Jesus returns in power and glory at his second coming. Now, you may reasonably ask the question, what happens if a person dies before the arrival of Jesus to establish his kingdom? The answer to that is a simple one. In the Bible, death is likened to a sleep, a state of unconsciousness. The classic text on that subject is found in Daniel 12, verse 2. There we read that many of those who are sleeping in the dust of the ground will awake, some to the life of the age to come. And the age to come, of course, is the same as the kingdom of God in the New Testament. Some then are going to awake in resurrection at the return of Christ in order to take part in that great kingdom. The faithful of all the ages will arise from the sleep of death and assume their responsibilities and positions in the coming kingdom of God. The book of Revelation is filled with promises of how Jesus is going to appoint the saints of all the ages to take charge of the world. In the famous parable of the talents in Luke 19, we read that those who do well as Christians are going to be invited to take charge of five cities or ten cities. And the apostles indeed in Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, were told that in the new age of the kingdom they would sit on twelve thrones to administer the twelve tribes of Israel regathered in the land. Paul the Apostle, of course, shared this idea about the destiny of the Christian. Don't you know, he said to his church members in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2, don't you know, have you forgotten that the saints are going to manage the world? And if the world is to come under your jurisdiction, can you not now settle your petty affairs in the church without going to the law courts of the world? Don't you know that the saints are going to manage the world? You see, that was the promise made to Abraham, that he would inherit the land or the kingdom forever. And the Christians in the New Testament are said to be the children of Abraham. Abraham is our father spiritually. 
You'll find that in the fourth chapter of Romans. In Christ we become children of Abraham. If you are Christians, said Paul in Galatians 3.29, if you are Christians, then you are Abraham's children and heirs according to the promise. And what was the promise made to Abraham? One has only to go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, where we see that Abraham was promised the gift of the land forever. Now that land in the New Testament is equivalent to the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus, they're going to inherit the land. They're going to inherit the promises made to Abraham, in other words. And the kingdom of God and the land are used synonymously. Both the kingdom of God and the inheritance of the land in the future are the great destiny to which Christians are directed as they proceed towards the goal of their calling, namely to rule the world with Jesus in the kingdom to be established on the earth when he returns. Heaven, says one leading scholar, is nowhere the destination of the dying in the Bible. And of course he's right. The idea that we disappear to heaven as disembodied souls to realms beyond the sky has no place in the scriptural teaching. Everywhere Jesus directs us towards a reward to be enjoyed in this earth. Blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. He didn't say they're going off to heaven as disembodied souls. They're going to be here on the earth with Jesus. And for the first thousand years at least, the kingdom of God will consist in a reorganized and renewed society. There will be mortals in that kingdom. There'll be people bearing children. There'll be people building houses. And society will be reorganized on an entirely new and sound basis. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.